This week, we're talking about five techniques to try out in the field, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. This is Nick Page, and as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. This week, I wanted to talk about five different shooting techniques to try out in the field and to hopefully give you guys something different to try the next time you're out and shooting. Also this week, we're gonna chat a little bit about social media. But before we jump in this week, I wanna remind everyone that my Ireland workshop is still available over on the website. You can find my workshops and tutorials always over at nickpagephotography.com. Really excited about Ireland. It's gonna be an amazing time. Gonna be teaming up with an Irish photographer. We're gonna be photographing seascapes, abandoned castles, beautiful countryside, iconic rock formations. It's gonna be an amazing trip. It's going to be happening this summer. We'd love to have you along, and you can find that over on my website. All right, with that, let's jump into this week's episode where we're talking about five shooting techniques and social media platforms. Social media is a double-edged sword. It's one of those things that I feel like so much of us waste way too much time on. Yet, as photographers, we kind of need social media because that is our main method to get our work in front of the eyes of others. I personally have been sharing my photography for the longest time on Facebook. And even though I've been on Facebook longer than any other social media platform, it is now my smallest audience. And the reason for that is that Facebook's algorithms make it very difficult for other people to find you and to follow you. And even when they do follow you, they don't always see what you post. Facebook has really just kind of neutered the reach that our pages have. And for that reason, I have been finding myself on Facebook and using Facebook less and less and less. For the past six months, Instagram has kind of been my main place that I share my work because my following is growing the fastest there and I always get more interaction on my photos than I ever have on Facebook. Facebook is great for having a discussion and a dialogue, but Instagram is good for just being photo centric. Everybody on Instagram is going there looking for photos, which is great for a photographer. Even though I've been on Instagram less than a third as long as I have on Facebook, my following is more than twice as large. And on top of that, I'm reaching a larger percentage of my following on Instagram. But having said that, things are slowly changing over on Instagram. The everyone's feed is no longer chronological, meaning that Instagram decides what they're going to show on everyone's feed. And once again, just like on Facebook, they're slowly choking the life out of the reach of the larger Instagram pages, especially the ones that they suspect are businesses because they want people to sponsor or boost a post just like they do on Facebook. Both Facebook and Instagram, this is the way that they monetize their apps. They do it through users boosting and sponsoring posts, and they also do it through marketing and advertising. Now into this mix comes a new social media platform called Vero. Now Vero has been around for a couple years, I guess, but it's just now gaining traction in the last month or so. What makes Vero different is two things. First of all, their feed that they're giving all of the users is absolutely chronological. So when you open the app, you're looking at the last photo that you looked at. And then as you scroll up, you start seeing photos that were posted by people that you follow 
after the last photo you saw. So potentially people are never going to miss a photo from you, assuming that they are starting from where they left off. The second thing that makes Vero different is the way that they plan to monetize. So rather than asking their users to boost posts and to sponsor posts so you get to reach your audience that you've built, they're actually functioning almost as a marketplace where they're actually selling music and selling products and and anything that people set up right through the app. So you or I, we could go on there and we could sell, for example, photography tutorials and we could sell it right on the app. That's not going to show up in people's feeds, but if people are looking for it or if users are sharing it, they can find that stuff. The second way that they're going to be monetizing is that after the first million people, which I guess they've already gone over that amount, after the first million and a half people, they're going to start charging for the app. And from what I understand, it's going to be around the price of a cup of coffee for the entire year, which I assume means like five bucks a year. So I jumped on the Vero bandwagon as soon as I found out about it. And I wanted to share with you guys why I did. First of all, there's something called being an early adopter. If you are an early adopter of a social media platform, it is much easier to gain a following because you are one of the early first users on the platform. Therefore, everybody that comes on the platform afterwards is more likely to follow you. It's very difficult to be a late adopter of a social media platform and to gain a large following because most times by that time, there are algorithms that restrict the reach and it just becomes very, very difficult to gain much traction if you're coming to a platform late. I came to both Facebook and Instagram fairly late. And so when Vero came about, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to be one of those early adopters. So if you think back to platforms like Google+, Google+, had some early adopters, people like Trey Ratcliffe, that gained massive followings because they were an early adopter. Everybody that came to the platform after him followed him because he was one of the few people at that time on that platform. So being an early adopter of an app is a good thing for a photographer, a good thing for anyone that is wanting to gain a larger following or audience. Now, it's not all about having these massive, huge numbers when it comes to social media, but there are perks to having a large following. The more people that know your name, the more people that know who you are, the easier it is for you to do things like sell prints or sell workshops. There are people on Instagram who don't really have followings anywhere else, but they are able to book out workshops throughout the year just based on their Instagram following. With large audiences comes a lot of perks. So really, this was my opportunity to try to jump on a a platform early and hope that it took off. And it seems like Vero is taking off. And the reason I like it so much is because it actually displays my images in a way that I like. Facebook has been limiting the reach of my audience and my photos for a long time. Instagram has absolutely been murdering my image quality and cropping my photos for a long time. Plus, I don't I'm not a big fan of the white background because most of my photographs are dark. They typically look best on a dark background. So you can see those darker details. Vero displays images in a really, really nice way. You can tap on it once and it goes full screen. If you have a horizontal image, you can rotate your phone and the image will rotate with it, which makes horizontal images look a whole lot better. Plus the background of each frame is chosen from the color palette of your photo. So your photos always look really good on Vero. And I absolutely love that I'm reaching a far larger percentage 
of my audience, of the people that follow me, because everything is being displayed in a chronological way, which means that a huge percentage of my following is seeing my images. And that is the most important thing. I'm hopeful that this app takes off. It's not, this app is definitely not without its controversies. Uh, I know a lot of people are really upset or scared of the terms of service because basically they say we have the right to do whatever we want with your photo. But the problem is all social media platforms have that same terms of service. And the reason they have that is because as soon as you upload your photo, they have to downsize it or resample it or crop it or crop it so they can show thumbnails of it. They have to do a whole bunch of stuff to your photo as soon as you upload it. And for that reason, they have to get all of those copyright permissions to do so. Something that I always tell people is that no social media platform is going to risk losing their entire platform over selling a few low resolution JPEGs people have uploaded on their site. That's just not going to happen because that app, that whole platform is worth so much more than the photos that we upload to it. So that's why I'm personally not worried about that's a choice that everyone has to make for themselves. But me personally, I'm not too worried about it. And I know that there's a lot of talk going around about the CEO and controversies about, you know, the Russians built the app and stuff. And some of that stuff might be true. I don't know, but I'm not going to stress too much about that. Because for me, the, the pros of getting my work in front of other people outweigh the cons of the characters behind the people that built the app. They're doing something for me. I'm not really doing much for them. So I'm not too worried about it. But again, that's a choice that everybody has to make for themselves. Okay, so that's enough about Vero. I just wanted to let you guys know in case you are looking for a new platform to post your photos as well. I also wanted to talk about five different techniques to try out in the field. I know me personally, I feel like a lot of times I'm going out and I'm doing the same things over and over and over. And sometimes just trying out a new shooting technique can really breathe a little bit of creativity and life into a photo shoot. Here are five things for you guys to try the next time you guys go out. So the first thing is panoramas. And I know that everybody listening has probably shot a panorama, but there's a lot of times when you just don't think to do it. For example, if you're shooting a nice static scene and you have to shoot absolutely as wide as you possibly can, let's say you have a 14 millimeter lens and you're shooting super wide to try to get the framing that you want. A lot of times there's going to be image quality ramifications for doing that. You know, maybe it's soft corners or maybe wide angle distortion where you got trees on the edges of your frame that are leaning in like they're like they're being blown over towards the center of your frame, whatever it is. A lot of times there's image quality ramifications for shooting super wide. And an interesting thing to try is to just go into vertical orientation and to shoot that same framing only in a panorama. There's some serious image quality benefits to that. For one, you're going to end up with a higher resolution photo with a whole lot more image quality. And for two, you're going to lose a lot of that wide angle distortion that's happening. Some scenes work far better for this than others. For example, if anything is moving or the clouds are moving really fast or there's moving water, there's objects really close to your camera, not the best time for a panorama. But there are times when this technique is awesome and it's actually the way to go because you can avoid some of that wide angle distortion and end up with a whole lot more image quality. So busting out a panorama when you're shooting really wide can be a huge benefit, but do make sure that you are panning around the center of your tripod. 
Meaning you either have some kind of panorama nodal slide type thing, or just do what I do where you're shooting on an L bracket. An L bracket is amazing for panoramas, and a lot of times it's good enough as long as you don't have a really obvious object close to your camera. The second technique is a perspective blend. Now a perspective blend is nothing more than a fancy term for a vertical panorama or a vertorama. But the difference is that you are refocusing in every frame. So when you shoot a perspective blend, you shoot with your camera in a horizontal orientation. You tilt down, you take a shot, you tilt a little bit up and then you refocus and take another shot and you keep doing that overlapping quite a bit, like half of your frame overlapped. And you do that until you've tilted all the way up and got the topmost part of the frame that you're envisioning. Now the benefits to this is that you're ending up with a shot that has full depth of field because you're focusing on your closest point and you're also focusing back at infinity. So when you stitch this to a panorama inside of Lightroom, you're going to have everything sharp and in focus. Plus you're going to end up with this really cool perspective where you're looking down and seeing what you can see when you look down like at your feet as well as looking back into the background. And it's just a really cool look with a really cool result. There are going to be some things that you have to do in post because there's going to be some distortion that happens when you stitch this to a panorama. But a lot of times they come out really cool and it's a fun technique to try anytime that you have a really interesting dominant foreground. The next thing and a very similar thing is just focus stacking. So focus stacking obviously is when you take multiple frames focused at different parts into your frame. That way you end up with full depth of field. For example, let's say we have the classic mountain in the background, flower in the foreground. This is a great time for focus stacking because it's impossible to get enough depth of field to get the entire shot sharp, especially if that flower is only four inches from your lens. You could stop down to F22 and use a hyperfocal distance. But the problem with that is that you're going to have both diffraction, which softens your image, and you're using a hyperfocal distance calculation, which does not get everything absolutely tack sharp. It gets everything in quotation marks acceptably sharp and that is not the same thing. When you're focus stacking you can use apertures more like f14 or f16 maybe even f11 and you can use sharper aperture settings so you're not only getting the maximum performance out of your lens but then you're blending that full depth of field to where everything from the closest blade of grass to the mountain in the background is 100% as sharp as it could possibly be. A lot of pros use this technique, and if it's not something that you're doing currently, giving it a try can be a lot of fun, and it can really take your image quality to the next level. Obviously, there's some post-production involved, but you can find on YouTube how to do that stuff, and it's not, not that hard. The fourth technique is focal length blending. Now, focal length blending is what it sounds like where you're blending multiple focal lengths together. The classic scenario, let's take that same mountain in the background, flower in the foreground. A lot of times if that mountain is a long ways away, when we shoot a wide angle frame with that flower in our foreground, that mountain is going to get very small and very cute. And that's not the way our eyes see it. So what you can do with a focal length blend is you can take that wide angle frame with the flower in the foreground, and then you can zoom in a little bit. Not a lot, you know, just a little bit. Like for example, if I'm shooting 16 millimeters for my foreground, I can zoom in to like 24 millimeters for my background. And then in Photoshop, I can blend that slightly larger rendition of my mountain into my background with my flowers in the foreground. So I get that dominant foreground, but a larger, more impressive mountain in the background. And 
The result is something a lot more like what we experience with our own eyes. When we look down, we see the flower, we look up, we see a big mountain. Because in reality, we don't look down and see a flower and then look up and see a tiny, cute, little distorted mountain. We see a large, impressive mountain. And focal length blending kind of mimics the way our brain perceives our surroundings. Focal length blending is a fun thing. And again, it requires Photoshop and using layers to blend those layers together. So the fifth thing that I wanted to share with you guys is something that I do that I'm not sure if other people are doing much of, but it's called shutter speed stacking, or at least that's what I call it, where basically anytime I'm shooting a water scene, let's say it's a waterfall, I like to blend different shutter speeds together to kind of just inject a slightly different energy to the frame or to highlight what I like best about that particular water feature. So some waterfalls, for example, look really good at fast shutter speeds, but very seldom does the stream in front of that waterfall look good at a fast shutter speed. A lot of times I like that stream with a slightly longer shutter speed, like a fifth of a second or maybe even a half second. But that falling water looks really great at like a 200th of a second. So what I'll do is I'll take the same frame, I'll shoot them at multiple shutter speeds, but I'll keep my exposure value the same. And I'll do that by counting my clicks and changing either my aperture or my ISO to counteract whatever I'm doing with my shutter speed. So for example, if I take a long shutter speed of a 10th of a second, and then I speed my shutter speed up to a 50th of a second, I count how many clicks it takes me to get there on my shutter speed dial. So let's say it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So now I need to compensate with that same number of clicks with either my aperture or my ISO or a combination of both. So if I've sped my shutter speed up by nine clicks or three stops, I need to, maybe I could make up three of those clicks with my aperture, one, two, three, and then I'll speed my shutter speed up by two stops, which is another six clicks, equally nine, which means that that fast shutter speed shot is going to look the same exposure wise as the slow shutter speed shot. And that makes blending those two images together super easy. And I can basically just use layer masks to, to blend it in. So one creative way of doing this is to have your waterfall shot. And as the water just comes over the very top of the waterfall, I'm using that longer shutter speed. Then as it falls, I slowly blend in that faster shutter speed. So it starts to get more choppy and more pronounced and you start to see all the individual water droplets towards the bottom of the waterfall. But at the top, it's kind of blurred out and smooth. And it's just a, it's a fun technique to try and it's something different to try out. And it can make shooting a whole lot more fun rather than like point your camera, shoot an aperture priority and let the camera make all the decisions. It's fun to take some of that decision making, that creative process and be in full control over it. And that's why I shoot in manual so much is I I'm a control freak and I want to like have full control over all my settings and make all the decisions. Photography for me is a dictatorship. <laughs> I'm not consulting with the camera when making creative decisions. All right, so that's pretty much what I got for you guys. If you're interested in the post-production of any of this stuff, I teach a lot of it in my tutorials, uh, but a lot of it you can find for free on YouTube, like focus stacking. There's a lot of that kind of stuff out there. It's a lot of fun to try, and it just makes shooting a whole lot more fun. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you have not already reviewed the podcast on iTunes, I would highly appreciate it. We have a whole bunch of subscribers, but not so many reviews. So if you guys could go leave a review on iTunes, I would highly appreciate that. Thank you guys so much for listening this week, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. 
all of you for listening this week. Remember, if you like this ad-free podcast, you can support me and the podcast over at patreon.com slash nickpagephotography. You can find me on Instagram at nickpagephotography. You can also find me at Vero, Nick Page. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.